the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and I am privileged to be the director of local ministries here at 104.1 The Fish, 93.9 KPDQ, and at True Talk 800. And opening up nationwide this weekend is a movie. It's called The Identical. It's got a great setting in the rockabilly age. You may remember James Autry from Serving Our Neighbors and Christian Chamber Northwest coming on last week to speak about what a great movie The Identical is. You can find out more information on the Facebook page, The Identical. It's opening this weekend. And what's really cool is if you buy a ticket at the website seatz.com, that's S-E-A-T-Z-Y dot com. Money gets donated locally to ministries, including Serving Our Neighbors and Christian Chamber of the Northwest. And we've got a very special guest on the line right now. He is the lead actor in The Identical, and his name is Blake Rain. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Uh, doing great, man. Pleasure to be on your show. It's a pleasure to have you. You know, I've been going through your various websites and just appearances, whether it's been on national TV shows or on CNN. It's got to be a rush for you, huh? How's it been? Yeah, it's been exciting. You know, uh, this project, I'm probably getting close to three and a half years involved in it. So uh, for me, it's it's been a, it's been a huge journey and um, uh, exciting one. I've learned a lot, uh, that's for sure. But uh, this has just been, it's been an amazing run. Well, you've obviously got the look down very well to start in the identical. But can you tell us about some of the experiences of being with some real heavy hitters and great actors in the industry, including Ashley Judd and Ray Liotta? How has it been for you as a fledgling actor? Yeah, you know, uh, as you as you may or may not know, this is my first movie. Period. I mean, first time acting. So uh, when. I found out I was I was in Santa Monica in a parking garage, just finished up an acting class, and uh, I got a phone call from the director saying, "We just landed Ray Liotta as your father." Um, I I hung up the phone and I I think I just about cried out of fear and trepidation. You know, we we we've all probably seen Goodfellas, and uh, but this is the same guy. This is the same guy that flew into Nashville two weeks before we started shooting the movie just to hang out with me. Uh, we went and seen a a couple uh, football games, a couple concerts, and just did it so we could get to know each other and be comfortable with each other. So, you know, we had a father-son relationship. So, you know, on the first day of shooting on set, it was comfortable. And, you know, Ray went out of his way, Ray Viota, of all people, went out of his way to make me feel comfortable. Actually, Jed demonstrated the same thing. Seth Green, Joey Pants, Aaron Cottrell, um, these are seasoned veteran actors, and they, they just made me feel at home, and uh, I'm just so thankful. I mean, they didn't have to do that, and I hope someday, you know, if nothing else, I have the opportunity to pay that forward. Yeah, that's that's a good idea to pay it forward, because it really seems like they've went out of their way on their own accord. It's not like the movie company forced them to come out early and get to know you and go hang out at ball camp. So, so what football did you watch together with Ray Liotta anyway? I'm curious. Tennessee Titans. Uh, it was a great game. Um, 
two years ago, Tennessee Titans versus the Detroit Lions. Detroit was killing them, and Tennessee came back. It's one of those historical games that came back against all odds at the very end and uh, won the game. So we had a great time. So tell us about just growing up overall. You were uh, a noted singer and songwriter. You kind of fell into this acting thing, didn't you? How did that happen? Yeah, I was I was with my band in a rehearsal studio in Nashville, Tennessee, where I, where I live, and um, we were just rehearsing new music and uh, whatnot, getting ready to go out on tour. And ironically, at the same time, Yokanon Marcelino, executive producer of the film, was at that rehearsal studio looking to possibly rent out some space to work on music for the identical. And we ran into each other, and um, you know we. We talked for a little bit. Uh, he asked me out to lunch. We met up a couple times, and one day he just, out of the blue, said, "Listen, um, you know, I don't know if you can act or not, but if you can, I want I want you to be the the lead role in my next movie called The Identical." And uh, you know, I had a screen test months later, and I guess I passed it, but uh, you know, it, it just worked out great. That's really an amazing Cinderella story when you think about it. So, when you first started hanging out with this gentleman, did you have any inkling? whatsoever that this might have been on the horizon that or that he was shopping you to perhaps be a lead in his movie you know it's it's a weird situation coming from the music business uh and and i mean in the movie business as well you know you'll hear a lot of things uh you'll get promised a lot of things and a lot of times they just fall through and and it's one of those situations where you know i walked away from many of those meetings initially thinking okay, I'll see if I ever hear from him again, you know. Mm-hmm. But he kept on calling, he kept on calling, and, you know, the the, the weird thing, uh, and I, I hate to even say that it's weird, but in this business it, it is. You know, Yokanon Marcelino made me uh, several promises throughout. You know, he, he said he would uh, make sure that I was trained up and he would he would surround me with good people and, uh, you know, that when the time, time came to start shooting, I would be ready and, you know, he followed through with everything, and uh, that's just a testament to the kind of people that the Marcelino family is. Of course, Yokanon is the executive producer, and his son, Dustin, was the director. So, uh, you know, just great people, uh, great hearts, and uh, amazing time working with them. We don't often hear stories and testimonies about that when it comes to Hollywood. So things must have really fallen into place for you, or you must have been so very well-regarded that they went out of their way to bend over backwards to make sure that you were the identical. So for the few of us who may not have heard about the movie so far, give us your elevator pitch. Someone bumped into you and, and said, oh, you're in a movie? What is the identical? Twins were born um, to two people, the poor sharecropper and his wife. Uh, twins were born in the Great Depression, and they could only afford to raise one. Uh, a traveling preacher and his wife come through town. They cannot have children, so the sharecropper and his wife decide to give up one of those child, one of their children, to uh, the preacher. And uh, so you have twins, identical twins, separated at birth. One grows up to be the world's biggest movie star, or, I'm sorry, rock star, and the other one grows up, of course, to be the son of a preacher, and his father wants him to uh, follow in his footsteps as a, as a minister. But he has music in his heart, just like his twin brother, and that's where the story begins. So was it tough playing twins? I mean, it's it's difficult enough for seasoned actors when you think about the parent trap and, and other roles where, uh, with Patty Duke show where people played more than one role of distinctly different characters. How was that for you? Were you able to turn off one and turn on the other pretty easily? Or did they strike a chord with you personally? 
Yeah, you know, first and foremost, the character of Ryan Wade uh, mirrors my life in so many regards. Um, I definitely had a lot of life experience to pull from when it came to portraying Ryan Wade. But, you know, I we spent a ton of time really just looking at this situation of nature versus nurture and the connection between, you know, identical twins, something that science can't even explain. Um, and kind of just uh, deconstructed both of the characters and and created backstories for both of them that, you know, you don't even see on screen, just to be able to arrive at the point that you do see them in the movie and you have this entire past history that kind of, you know, makes them different despite the fact that they were identical twins. So it was a lot of work, but it was a creative process and uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. This must have been neat to play dress up and, and movie star coming from a musical background like you just did. So can you tell us where you grew up and how some of these similarities came into play? Yeah, I grew up in a very rural uh, Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania. Uh, as a young man, we moved around a lot. We moved to Columbus, Ohio, uh, down to Georgia, where I spent, I, I would say, probably some of the more important years growing up and moved back to Columbus, Ohio. But, um, you know, we grew up very poor, um, uh, a very religious family. Uh, I always wanted to do things like, uh, you know, be in choir and be in the, the high school play and whatnot. But my, my parents uh, always said, listen, you're going to play sports because you're athletic and you're going to get straight A's and hopefully you can go to college and better yourself. So, you know, just like Ryan Wade in the movie, I had my parents didn't necessarily understand my dream and, and wouldn't let me follow my dream. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there uh, for me growing up. So tell us about any of the themes of the movie, The Identical, which really ring true or you find most inspiring to our audience. Yeah, the, the theme that I feel that resonates the most is, is that theme of, you know, if your heart is in the right place and if you're seeking God's will uh, in your life, that feeling that you get in your gut, it's coming from him and you have every right to follow that. Um, follow your dream. And I think it's an important message, especially to the youth of today. I, my son right now is at that age where he's making decisions that will impact the rest of his life. And I, I tell him, uh, if your heart is right, son, you can follow that. You can follow that instinct, that, that gut feeling that you have. Um, follow it and never look back because we live in this day and age where, you know, information is all around us and, you know, everyone's telling you how to look, how to dress, how to think, how to feel. And sometimes you just have to get through all the clutter and get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, what is my heart telling me? And uh, when you can latch onto that and follow that dream, it's it's a very important thing in life. And I mean, we deal with it. Youth kids deal with it, but we also, as adults, deal with it every day. You know, decisions about our job, decisions about relationships. So it's a it's a theme that's central to the film, and I think it's something that applies to everyone. Follow your dreams, indeed. Congratulations on your first starring role, Blake Rain the star of The Identical, the movie opening up nationwide this weekend. You can find more information on Facebook, on Twitter, hashtag The Identical, and you can find out more about it at the website, theidenticalmovie.com. Thanks so much, Blake Rain, for coming on with us today on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Good times speaking with the actor and musician Blake Rain of The Identical. And if you'd like to buy tickets while you benefit some great local causes through serving our neighbors in the Christian Chamber of Commerce of the Northwest, 
You can get a pencil out and write this down. It's seatz.com, S-E-A-T-Z-Y.com, slash, the identical, slash, A, slash, N-W-C-C. I'm sure you'll all remember that quite easily, so I'm not going to go on with that. And there's some other great ministries throughout the Portland metropolitan area that are incredible at not only serving, but raising awareness and raising funds for their various causes. Now, one of them would be through an evening with Jubilee, Jubilee Transitions Homes. They are hosting a dinner in Wilsonville, September 20th. Always a a neat thing to see what Jubilee is doing next. Another is the Greater Portland Fellowship of Christian Athletes Golf Classic. That'll be on Monday at the Oregon Golf Club. More information on that can be found on the website pdxfca.org. And live in the studio today, I am privileged to have a couple of gentlemen from Responder Life. They're a registered nonprofit organization. We have Executive Director Trey Doty and Steve Chadwick, who is the Director of Community and Church Development. Did I get that all right, gentlemen? <laughs> you got that it. That sounds good. I'm glad that I didn't choke up my words too badly on that. <laughs> so welcome, Trey. Welcome, Steve. Can you tell our listeners exactly what Responder Life is? Responder Life is an organization that walks alongside first responders and equipping them to support their peers. Uh, too often, we parachute experts into the first responder culture, hoping that the experts will fix everything. But we think the real experts and really our mission and purpose is to equip the people already in the first responder culture to come alongside and, and meet some of those spiritual, emotional uh, needs that, that they have. And partly because of the, the trauma they experience every day, the, the level of stress that they experience. You know, I think about, uh, yes, I watch too much TV, <laughs> but uh, Law & Order, when uh, Elliot had to step down from, from being a cop on, on SVU, because he had no life outside of his job. I think right. there are certain personalities that are able to take the job and turn it off, come 4.59 on a Friday afternoon, and others, it just looms with them and consumes their every moment and thought. So it's Trey... Steve, yes. do either of you have direct experience as first responders? How did you get connected with the Responder Life in the first place? Well, let Steve start. He preceded me at, at Responder Life. You know, uh, it's funny because um, you talk about the experience that I have. Um, I, I grew up, um, I, I came out to Portland to go to Multnomah. And, um, and then as I came out to Multnomah, I had a lot of friends of mine that got into law enforcement. And, and um, at that point, I went into ministry. And my, my dream was to, to become a... Uh, a youth pastor and to be married um, by the time I was 24 and I was married and a youth pastor by 24 and divorced by the time I was 30. And in that moment, um, it kind of took a different turn. And I, I, I did a lot of volunteer ministry and over the years I got connected with Responder Life and I, I used to run a camp for Responder Life. And as I saw these first responder families and you talked about this, this Elliot on SVU you know, you see these people that, that have this calling, and, and we talk about in church ministry a lot of times, calling to ministry, and, and you see a very similar movement in first responders that they feel they are called to this, because as they get farther into it, they realize this is not something you can do because it's fun. It, it just it takes its toll on you and your family, and and um, that, that really broke my heart, and I saw God really moving me toward this, and um, I over time I became a police chaplain. Um, and um, began working with first responders and just really developing how do we get spiritual resources to these first responders? Um, how do we help them to bring this, these tools that they can translate into their culture? 
I love when I speak to people who've worked in law enforcement, like Ron Mel Jr., who's worked with FBI and over in Beaverton. So how was your first experience, Steve, becoming a, a chaplain? Were you welcomed? Was with a lot of trepidation from the people you were trying to serve? Or was there already something in place? Well, it's funny. I, I, I became a chaplain, and I, I really felt God was calling me, me to that, that, that field. And uh, I had a lot of friends that were police officers said, oh, the, you'll be great. This is perfect for you. And I went to actually a prayer group with um, law enforcement. And I told them I was a chaplain. And, and, and so in this group, the law enforcement officers there said, all right, we're taking this whole night, and we're just praying for Steve. And it was that moment, like, what am I getting into exactly that, that sense of, like, they have a better sense of how difficult it was going to be. So I walk into uh, roll call, and everybody's head turns around and looks, who's this new guy? Why does he have a badge? And what is he doing here? And, and over time, um, I, I begin to realize probably the greatest commodity in law enforcement is the commodity of trust. And, and that is something that's earned over time, um, um, you know, through lots of different experiences. And, and eventually um, they, they embrace you, you know, as part of that family. But it, it is a very difficult. It's, it's like going into another culture, um, not speaking the language, not knowing the cultural norms. I guess they're somewhat protective of each other because it, it's a tough job and environment and community to be a part of. Yeah, I... When when you go there and you realize that um, the people you have to trust, your right and left, um, in situations um, that that go from you know we hear all the time on the news, you know they go to pull over a car, um, the driver comes out and starts shooting them. It's happened here in Oregon um, just recently, and and officers go from um, zero to a hundred in in just a few milliseconds, and you have to know the people around you. You can trust them, and and even as a chaplain, when I'm out with them. Um, uh, that those are those moments they have to know they have to be able to trust me in that moment to not do something stupid um to to do something that's going to be helpful and and that that I can be a, a resource for them you know kind of in the aftermath of that so so now that you've been in responder life for a bit now can you t- give us one of the most satisfying moments where you feel all right god this is why you have me here thank you for this experience any good stories you know, I, I, we have started a ministry that I'm really excited about. And I, I know that there's a lot of other chaplains that have done similar things like this, but we've we started a ministry called Police Rest Stops. And there was a little church by my house um, that w- there were two um, CERT or, you know, sometimes known as SWAT um, events that were staged from the church parking lot. And my thought was, what if we just gave them access to churches so they could go in and use the bathroom and be warm on a, a cold February afternoon when they're sitting on an event for three or four hours. And um, so we, we put out word to, to the police bureau that we are opening up a church to have them come in and have a room. And I drove by with the Keurig coffee in my trunk, and nice. I hadn't even set anything up. And I drove by the church, and officers, among their hundreds of emails that they get every day, um, had read that email, and there were four cars sitting in the parking lot waiting for me as I came by. And that was a moment where I went, this, this is very significant in this culture for that kind of response. And um, over time, I've had um, a lot of stories of just people being touched and cared for. And it's, it's a subtle culture. So sometimes it's hard to explain to people when officers come and find me and say, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Um, 
that that is something that that's the equivalent of fireworks and and a giant display in a lot of other cultures. So, do they feel as unappreciated as any industry you've seen? Yeah, I I, I think that um, there's a lot of similarities between um, you know pastoral ministry and and police, um, where they go to the people that are are really in trouble, and all the people that are doing really good. Um, are the ones that never call you, and and so over time that becomes this 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 uh, kind of um, problem that 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 just kind of grows and grows where all all your calls on your on your MDC on your computer in the car are calls because everything is falling apart, and they go there and people expect them to parent their children and to um, tell their out of control seventeen year old. Um, to to listen and behave and stop taking drugs and and the officers are are sent to these situations over and over again and and they never have interaction with people who really like them and and so or they have very little and and so over time it just kind of becomes that self fulfilling prophecy that people are all out to lie people are all trying to to get something and and there's there's a, a sense of, of cynicism. I wonder if it's easy to fall into a works-based mentality where my only worth is when somebody needs something from me as opposed to just existing and, and, and being a child of God, for instance. So, um, Trey, yes. how, how's it been for you as the executive director of Responder Live? We've heard some of Steve mm-hmm. Chadwick's experiences. How has it been for you so far? Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, I was thinking about what I, – so I was a pastor and church planter for 13 years. Um, before I got into nonprofit work outside of the local church. Interesting. Now, was that in the Portland area? That was, yeah. Yeah, so out in southeast Portland and in Beaverton and also downtown Portland. And uh, George Fox grad, under, I sh- you know, my alma mater will love to hear me say, George Fox. <laughs> um, so George Fox undergrad and then uh, completed my MDiv at George Fox Seminary. And uh, just a transformative time. And then out of that, my postgraduate work was at Emanuel Hospital. And uh, for those that know Emanuel Hospital, it's a level one trauma center and people pass, you know, thousands of people pass by it every day on the freeway, but they don't realize the kind of trauma and desperation and, and suffering that happens in those walls. And so I spent a year there uh, in chaplaincy and it really connected me with um, understanding some of the trauma that uh, first responders face every day. So the fire, the firefighter who goes to an accident scene and pulls a family out of, of, of a minivan and identifies in the faces of those victims his his own spouse or his own his own child, and um, identifies strongly with that. And somewhere they have to work through that. And so, um, I, I don't feel like there's any greater honor than coming alongside of them in moments where they're questioning even their own mortality or understanding the the fr- how fragile life is, um, just with their family and uh, giving them some encouragement. Trey Doty is the executive director, and his friend Steve Chadwick is the director of community and church development at Responder Life. Their nonprofit is hosting an event we're going to share more about with you later on in the program. It's called the Responder Life Sporting Clays Benefit Shoot, and as opposed to, say, dinners or golf outings, which are also (laughs) fun, and I'm not knocking them. Yours is very different, and more information is posted at their website, responderlife.org. More with Responder Life's Trey Doty and Steve Chadwick next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800.
Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800 with our very special guests from a group called Responder Life, a nonprofit that helps people who are first responders just kind of deal with the everyday duties that they sacrifice themselves and their loved ones for when it comes down to it. I admittedly have a much softer job. Probably the hardest one I had over the years was I was a traffic reporter and I was out in the field. Now, when I was up in the plane, life was easier because from 1500, you can't really see any details. But when you're on the road street reporting and you drive by an accident and it's bad or you see a yellow sheet or you, you see a wreck, only then do you really get the magnitude of what our first responders have to deal with on a daily basis when it comes down to it. And oftentimes they've got crazy shifts. Maybe they're going 24 hours in a row. Maybe they haven't seen their families for several days. And I just don't know if that's natural. I'm not a big proponent of doctors taking 24-hour shifts, for instance. What's to say that I got the doctor in the first four hours versus the, the last four hours of a day-long shift? And if I miss details out on my softer, more comfortable job, how much worse must it be for someone working in a first responder profession? So uh, tell us, Steve Chadwick, what are you most proud about that Responder Life does for our community? You know, um, when we, we try to deal with first responders, I think a lot of times I see churches that, that want to help and um, they have truth, um, but they don't have the cultural understanding to be able to do it. And so um, one of the greatest things I've, I've been able to do is through some of the rest stops, um, connecting churches with their local police and the local first responder community. And we're not talking about the rest stops inside of I-5, giving free coffee at no, night right. and bathrooms <laughs> and stuff like that with vending machines. We're talking about responder life rest stops. So what is your definition of a uh, rest stop from responder life's perspective? Well, a rest stop, basically, there's, there's, there's a lot of different versions of them. Um, each church kind of takes on um, their own identity, but it has a bathroom available um, 24-7 for first responders. It has a room um, that they can go into, and um, um, the best is they have a room that's actually set aside for them with a code access to the room so they're, they're safe, they're not going to be interrupted. Um, they can go into the church, uh, church can be meeting, first responders, police officers will walk through the middle and know that they have that safe room that they can go to. And, and, and people have a hard time understanding that, that officers, like you were talking about, officers come from a crash scene where a little child's been, been injured or even killed. And they, they go and they just need a space to decompress. There's not a lot of things you can say at that moment. And the best thing you can do to them is say, basically, it's, it's the equivalency of, of hospitality saying, here, here's your room. You go in and out of it whenever you want, and we're not going to bother you unless you need something. And, and when that happens, um, churches get a, get a glimpse of that first responder community. We've had a number of churches that have, have through this, this rest stop, it's become kind of a window into that police community. It allows them to really serve the community, the, the pain, the suffering of their community, and to do that through their, their local first responders. And, and to see the churches kind of gather around this room as an entire group, um, that, that has been really, really exciting for me. So maybe your church or outreach or office has an extra space that God's put it on your heart to do something useful with it. What's the best way to contact Responder Life to maybe offer a rest stop? Well, um, my, my email address is steve.chadwick at responderlife.org. Um, you can email me. Um, there's also a phone number on the website that, that I can't remember at this point. Yeah, it looks like 877-516-6688. That's 877-516-6688. Uh, but we talk about 
in the Christian Chamber of Commerce of the Northwest, how we can shine a light and be a difference in the marketplace. That certainly seems like a pretty simple way to do so, just by putting the availability of a room out for a first responder to be able to decompress a little after what could be a very devastating, heartbreaking shift of meeting whatever emergencies are out there on a daily basis. So what else besides the rest stops might Responder Life be more proud of when it comes to the services you've offered? Um, one, one of the things we do is um, we have a lot of small groups that meet. And um, we have first responders that are leading small groups, um, sometimes Bible studies, just some um, prayer groups that meet. And um, we, we have um, a number of, of first responders that have worked with us for, for a number of years. And, and um, they have started um, dozens of small groups in our, in our Portland area. And it's, it's kind of that, that part where, where there's nobody that really understands a cop like another cop. There's mm-hmm. nobody that really understands a fireman like another fireman. And, and having these couples, we, we do marriage mentoring um, trainings. And people come to me as a chaplain and their marriage is struggling. I might have information about how to um, help and to, to rebuild your marriage. But nobody understands what it's like to be a married spouse to a first responder like another married spouse. And there are wonderful resources out there that are available. Marriage Matters. Um, we just went through I Still Do at the Moto Center with our friends from Family Life. Your individual church or ministries might have small groups or couples groups. And we're not downplaying the significance of any of those. However, when it comes to the career choice of a first responder and what they deal with on a daily basis— it's like you said, Steve Chadwick, that there's really no one who could relate with another cop than a cop. Yeah, it's 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 also what we talked about earlier, the shift schedule. So if you have a fireman who's on a 24-hour shift or a police officer who's on um, a 12- or 10-hour shift and you have scheduled events for kind of the normal world, um, a lot of them can't come to them. They can't come on Sunday morning um, when they start off, one of the first things that happens to a first responder is they don't get weekends for maybe five, six years unless they go to nights. And that's, that's kind of the world that they live in because they have seven-day-a-week, 24-hour shifts. So you have a church event, and people sometimes have a hard time, you know, how come this police officer or this fireman never comes to church? Well, they're working every time your meetings happen. And so you have to have alternate times, sometimes in the morning, sometimes um, afternoon, different times that will work for their particular their shift schedule. And, and, and the other part is, like you said, um, they'll come to a meeting and they just come from the scene where everybody was driving by wondering what happened that accident and they were there watching what happened. And, and that's a very difficult thing to walk into a meeting and go, well, what's been going on in your life this week? And you can't really share and explain that in that format um, as you can with another first responder. You can talk about death. You can talk about tragedy and things that have happened with other first responders and, and other people who, who understand. But it's very few people in our churches, in our communities, that can sit down and, and deal with the world that they live in. So what other ways, Trey Doty, Executive Director, can we help Responder Life help these people out? Well, beyond the, the rest stops at our churches, you mentioned some great marriage ministries. And actually, we're partnering with Stronger Families out of Bellevue, Washington. Oh, excellent. Yeah, to put on a a marriage uh, workshop at the beginning of October at Rolling Hills Community Church. That's a great place. It's funny. um, Jack Kemp was a guest a few weeks ago, and he used to be with them before uh, 
moving out east. Small world. Yeah, it is a small world. That's yeah, Noel really Metter, their world. executive director now, is going to be the presenter that day. And what we're really ex- excited about is not only do we bring first responders together to work through, you know, normal marriage difficulty and or just to tune up a, a otherwise healthy marriage, but we're also identifying people in our community who first responders could look to and trust, who would provide some mentoring for them. Um, it's actually really healthy for first responders to hang out with people who aren't. And you earlier on in the program, you talked about just getting your identity wrapped up in the job, that that's all there is. And we understand that if you identify too strongly with your job, one thing goes wrong in your job and the world falls apart. But if your identity is, is uh, if you have identity not only in your job, but your you know, husband, wife, father, mother, and you understand your role there, um, a much more um, holistic understanding of uh, who you are, um, just healthier. And so we, we encourage first responders to connect with people outside the community, I mean, outside of their first responder culture. So in this case, we, we, we want to look for opportunity for people in the community to provide uh, mentoring for our first responders, particularly in, in marriage. And at Responder Life, have you found that a lot of the first responders, regardless if they grew up in any religious background, are they open to the services that you provide as a Christian organization? You know, I find that, I find that they, they are. And uh, the more we work with agencies in particular and specifically and just provide a, an open door, not through any um, religious activity, how they, that's how they would put it. Is that religious? Um, any religious activity, it's just an opportunity. How do we help you do your job better? Um, it, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I explain to people, um, you know, as a chaplain, it's kind of a weird thing at a, a, a police department. And, and uh, how many people in our society believe in right and wrong and were willing to put their life on the line for right and wrong? And that's a pretty pretty strong spiritual statement, whether or not you, you, you talk about it as a religious statement. And, and I think the vast majority of first responders, you talk about their calling. Um, that's a very kind of religious term that they use. And they talk about their calling, and they talk about um, um, evil. They talk about right and wrong, and those are very important things to them. I think, I think more there's, there's probably more a sense of right and wrong in a lot of the first responders I know than people sometimes that I meet in church. And, and that's, that's kind of interesting because these are people who really believe in it. And I have church members that will say, oh, this officer gave me a speeding ticket. So I'm, well, were you speeding? Well, okay. You, you were breaking the law. You were breaking this rule. And as, as, as a, a person of faith, it's kind of amazing to say that this officer, and this officer may or may not have been a person of faith, but they believe in right and wrong maybe a little stronger than this person does. And so you come into that situation, and I think it's a very fertile ground. Um, I, I think that, that a lot of ways, first responders are ministers to everybody at their moment of worst need. And, and the most big crisis that they, they deal with, these first responders come there. And, and seeing first responders deal with it in, in a Christ-like way, whether or not they're a Christian, but in a way that shows that servant um, um, at that moment that, that I think Jesus really epitomized. And, and then in that moment, I, I understand, you know, they can minister to these people and these, these needs. And it, it's an amazing kind of conclusion. Our guests in the studio today from Responder Life are the Director of Community and Church Development, Steve Chadwick, and the Executive Director, Trey Doty. And you can find out more about the Responder Life Sporting Clays Benefit Shoot. That's coming up on Friday, September 26th. 
on their website, responderlife.org, as you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800 with our very special guests from Responder Life, the Executive Director, Trey Doty, and the Director of Community and Church Development, Steve Chadwick. Gentlemen, would you like us to hear about your Sporting Clays benefit shoot? Can you give us a little information on that? It's not your everyday benefit, is it? Uh, No, not at all. One thing uh, you learn about first responders very quickly they typically like to fish and hunt and shoot things when they're sporting clays. And uh, so we're, think golf tournament with mm-hmm. shotguns. And so we have uh, teams of, of four people who move sta- station to station, um, adding up their points and competing with, uh, with other agencies and with each other, all, all to benefit the, the things we do at Responder Life. It's coming to Salem Clay Target Sports in Jervis on Friday, September 26th from 8 a.m. to 2.15. But it's not just the shooting itself. There's going to be some other activities involved throughout the day, aren't there? Yeah, we'll have a lunch, a uh, silent auction. We have had we have some great partners. Uh, Wilco, Cabela's um, have come alongside and uh, also Country Financial uh, has said, hey, this is really important. And uh, even in Tualatin, Country Financial in Tualatin, it said, hey, we want to see four first responder teams out there, so we're just going to take care of the co- their registration costs. And uh, we'll fill the team by going to the chief at TVFNR and uh, Tualatin PD to get them there. That's and fantastic. So, uh, it's great, just great to see community support. And what a great way for business folks to learn the names of their, the chief of their departments and some of the officers uh, they see on the street every day. Well, that's for sure. Is it too late to register? Can you still go about that? Are, are there spaces left or what? Absolutely not too late to register at all. Uh, you can register uh, at re- responderlife.org uh, backslash benefit shoot, or just look under the events tab on our website and the registration page will be there. So we want to, we really want to encourage our first responders to participate. So the first responders register at the actual cost of uh, participating. So uh, we want to make it as easy as possible for them to be a part of the that big day for us. So not only is this going to be a fun day and a good fundraiser and community mm-hmm. awareness event, but it's really good bang for the buck, no pun intended, when it comes to the <laughs> first responders being able to go out there, relax, enjoy fellowship with each other, and go right. shoot some clay pigeons. Ab- absolutely, and some good food. It's funny how many first responders ask us about the food. <laughs> so we're going to have some uh, some great food that day, and uh, look forward to having some some uh, a good group of people out there. Well, thank you, Trey Doty, Executive Director of Responder Life. So between you and Steve Chadwick here, our Director of Community and Church Development, mm-hmm. can you tell us why why do you do this? Uh, yes, there are needs out there. Yes, the first responders go through a lot, but why you and why Responder Life? Uh, a couple reasons. I actually not too long ago I told my wife about some of the things. I had been at a seminar in Salem, and I told my wife about some of the things that first responders go through. And she said, if you hadn't told me that you're talking about police officers, firefighters, and dispatchers, and paramedics, I would think you were talking about pastors, because that's what I remember about you being a pastor. And uh, and and I remember there there were times that I really wanted to be healthier than I was in ministry. I was supposed to be... Uh, I was supposed to have this this kind of public persona that had things together, and I didn't always feel like I had it together. And I really see that in our first responders. You put on a uniform, and there's this expectation that they're they're above humanity. And uh, so 
Anyway, the other is my sister is a, is a life flight paramedic. And, you know, we talked about marriages earlier. And I saw her go through a really difficult marriage, married to a firefighter. And as they work through that and, and as her husband left, um, I just thought, you know, if I had an opportunity to help people like her and her ex-husband become healthier in marriage and have healthy marriages, um, I would do anything I could. And so part of joining Responder Life was um, a sense of gratefulness for the way my sister walked through that. But I just thought if I can help people like her, I'm going to do that every day. So despite the fact that you're no longer preaching Sunday mornings in front of right. a congregation in the same building, I will argue that you never really left being a pastor. You know, I tell people it's hard to flip that switch off. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, there are some days that uh, I think, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm just pushing paper. And uh, more recently, I uh, became a chaplain in, in, in a local agency and just reminded of, of how much uh, I feel called to walk alongside one-on-one with people through some of the most difficult times in their life. So can you give us the uh, quick version of how you became a pastor in the first place? When did you come to know the Lord, Trey Doty of Responder Life? Uh, six years six years old, a uh, children's church teacher gave us an invitation, and, and actually he uh, just passed away uh, not too long ago, but just grateful his, for his life and ministry. And it was in junior high that I just felt a strong calling, and my grandfather uh, really encouraged me um, in that direction. Of course, my parents did, did too. And uh, as much as I argued with God, uh, I said, God, I want to be a social worker, and then I wanted to be an attorney. And uh, I actually came to a point one summer where I had a chance to go to the Virgin Islands in college to work on a yacht, or I could be the youth pastor at my home church in Vancouver. And uh, God won that argument. <laughs> and uh, I took the job as a youth pastor in Vancouver, you know, and uh, I built relationships that turned into a couple church plants, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't look back, so... I'm still waiting to get to the Virgin Islands, <laughs> but maybe you can uh, open up a, a rest stop down in the Virgin <laughs> Islands. You know, I think you're onto something. I like that. I like the direction this is going. You know, I, I've offered to go on these Christian musician type cruises or, or right. hold banners up in, in our sister stations in Hawaii, but no one's taken me up on that quite yet. So I can relate, Trey. <laughs> How about you, Steve? Why do you do what you do for Responder Life, or at all? You know, I, I think my, my, my own faith journey, I grew up in a Christian home, um, uh, became a follower of Jesus when I was little, but I, I remember my junior year, summer before my junior year of high school, I was on a wilderness trip in northern Canada, and I remember sitting on the side of a lake just kind of asking God the question, um, God, if you will be faithful like you say you're going to be, I will follow you. And, and that was kind of a, a major monumental point in my life, and, and that kind of carried through a lot of things. And, and I think God calls us to do things that are really crucial and important, um, but sometimes they're not very fun, they're not very easy, they're very difficult. And, and I have five boys, and um, I, my boys are pretty young. I started a family um, older in life, and I, I look at the, those five boys, and one of my boys wants to be a police officer when he grows up. And, and it's, I know firsthand a lot of what they have to deal with. And we talk about that. And the reason you do police work, the reason you become a fireman or a paramedic is because it's really, really important. And when you see it firsthand, you, you witness it, um, you experience what things they do that, 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 that never make the news, the car they pulled over that was going to kill somebody, the driver's going to go kill somebody. And they took a gun out of that car. Um, and that never made the news. And the time where they find a guy hiding out behind his girlfriend's house 
and he has a gun in his waistband and he was going to kill her and, and they take him into custody. That never makes the news. And they stand in the way of, of, of evil and they stand for justice and, and it, it takes an incredible toll on them, but it is so absolutely crucial. And, and I think more and more as a society, it's becoming more and more difficult for first responders to do their job. Um, they, they, they have a lot of animosity from our culture. Um, they have a lot of, of distrust that they face. And, and as that takes place, it becomes more and more crucial that we have people who are willing to stand in the gap. Thank you so much, Steve Chadwick, the Director of Community and Church Development for Responder Life and Executor, Executive Director Trey Doty for joining us today on Difference Makers. Don't forget, Friday, September 26th at Salem Clay Target Sports in Jervis. That's where you'll find the Responder Life Sporting Clays Benefit Shoot. It's still not too late to sign up, so make sure that you register at the website responderlife.org. Thank you, Clark Hilton, across the glass. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on Difference Makers right here on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 